Hey, y'all, and welcome to The Application, a podcast nestled nicely in the Enrollify Podcast Network. This is your guide, Corinne Myers, and I am so excited to share my love of high-grade Marcoms, student experience, and campus worlds. My friends at RaRa were awesome enough to sponsor all of the insights and ideas I get to share with you over the course of the application's episodes. So let's get into it. My name is Becca Soleil, and I am the Director of Undergraduate Student Services in the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. Um, day to day, I work with our undergraduate students, our undergraduate faculty, and a lot of different staff, both in our college and across our university, to support our students academically and as, um, in their personal well-being as well. I have been working with college students for about 15 years. I love the energy that they bring to campus every day and cannot imagine myself working anywhere else, honestly. So student services, what does that encompass? Are there like specific departments or programs that you are concentrating on? Sure. So I I would say that my role covers a number of functional areas in higher ed. Um, First and foremost, I work with all of the academic advisors in our college who are helping students develop their plans to get to graduation, um, interpreting policies that the university or the college has, and making sure that we're removing barriers for students. Um, I also work with a lot of student success initiatives um, or retention and engagement programming. Um, So I work with our peer mentor program, which is specifically um, a group of upper division students who help to teach a class and mentor our first year students. Um, And then I work with a lot of our partners across campus, like in our residence life, because we have lots of our students who live on campus, not just their first year, but all the way through. I work with our provost office, our dean of students office, and really when it comes to working with those other partners on campus, it's usually in one of two things. It's usually bringing a group of people together to brainstorm ideas on how to better support students and engage them on campus, um, or it's to solve an issue for an individual student and help them find resolution for whatever challenge they're facing. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, um, so in terms of and the, the the kind of the focus area for the first three episodes of this podcast is around student mental health and wellness, and I would love yeah. to get like your state of the state um, today and what you've seen change pre-pandemic, during pandemic, and what you're hoping to see going forward. Absolutely, um, things are crazy. <laughs> And I mean that in every good and not so good sense of the word. Pre-pandemic, we were definitely seeing more students being more open about their mental health and wellness needs, which is amazing. Like that unspoken taboo topic of I have a need for something is gone. People can now really feel more comfortable talking about their needs but it doesn't mean that every student is that way. And we have a very large shift in our student demographics over the last 15 to 20 years. Whereas in the early to mid 2000s, it was all about millennials going to college. Well, millennials are in the workforce now, but we have this huge population of Gen Z 
but we have a lot of adult and re-entry students as well. People who are switching careers because the pandemic showed them that there's a different need in their community or they discovered a passion um, differently. And so I think that tied in with also the very, very large number of first generation college students is really causing very good seismic shifts in how we work and operate. When I was in graduate school studying student affairs and higher education, those topics were so relevant at that time. But now, like 15 years later, while those things are still relevant and that knowledge and experience is still really important to helping me do my job every day, every day is now different with different needs. And students don't fit neatly into a box of direct from high school with a parent or two parents who went to college. It is every type of human being you can imagine is in the higher education space. And so we are finding that they're bringing all of their different experiences into our space as well. And that means we are having to think differently about providing resources and services. We have to think differently about what language we're using because we may assume that students know what we mean and it turns out we're clear as mud. That's very interesting. Are you seeing um, this, this shift so you mentioned Gen Z. We know Gen Z is more open to mental health and wellness conversations, but with the adults coming back into, they're all adults, I should say, the, the individuals coming back into higher ed to get their degrees or, or change career paths, are they also, are you seeing a, a shift in them as well, being that openness about uh, mental health? Yeah, I feel like our students who um, are returning to college, or potentially going to college for the first time after being in the workforce, they're seeing their now peers in this educational space making brave decisions to share publicly what their needs are. And I think that is setting an example where they are feeling more confident that they can speak up even if when they were more of a traditional age college student, that might not have been the norm. And I think that's phenomenal because what we're seeing is this multi-generational impact, you know, of people seeing other people doing things that they may not have thought about doing before. And it goes the other way too. Um, I think a lot of our older students do a really, really great job of role modeling really good critical thinking and conflict management in a way that younger students are a little more averse to. Interesting. So everybody, the, the boat is going up across the board. Just everybody's kind of learning from each other. Multi-generational in, in classrooms is beneficial, um, it sounds like. And that's great, especially with the, you know, how mental health has historically been a topic that we hush hush and under the carpet, um, it's now becoming, it's being forced anyway into the spotlight. Um, but it sounded like even before the pandemic, you were seeing that shift happen with potentially Gen Z um, and the mental health conversations happening even before COVID hit and forced us. Is that is that accurate? I do think so. Um, I think that Gen Z and 
you know, students coming into college in the last maybe five to seven years, regardless of which generation they might identify with, are more open. Um, you know, there are lots of people who have lots of different opinions about higher education being treated like a business or catering to every student's desires. Um, but I'm very fortunate in working at Arizona State that as an institution, they recognize that there are things that students need to be able to be successful students. So the fact that they've been able to do things like beef up counseling resources on campus and be very open and direct with students about what is available also helps students to feel more comfortable asking about those services and seeking them out as well. The link between student engagement and student success is clear. The more actively engaged students are, the more likely they are to learn, stick with their studies through to graduation, and attain their academic goals. Most higher ed institutions understand that link now better than ever. And yet in the last year, graduation rates are down 6%, retention is down 15%, and co-curricular engagement is down from 59 to 57%. Students cite struggles finding the right resource at the right time to feel engaged on their own terms as well as an increasing level of mental health challenges and anxiety as some of the biggest barriers to engagement. That's where RaRa comes in. RaRa Student Engagement and Success Technology makes it easier for your students to engage with information, services, resources, and tools they need every day than a single app. Whether it's booking time with their advisor, signing up for an event or club, or learning more about financial literacy as a college student, with RaRa there's no more searching around various websites, social media pages, or looking through email inboxes. It's all within the RaRa app. Even better, over time, the app will learn what is most relevant to your students and will push those resources first, similar to a Netflix experience. I actually downloaded RaRa on my phone myself and got to try it out. Super cool, great curated content, and a great way really to make it a one-stop shop. We all know higher ed websites tend to be monsters. Start making student experience the center of everything you do by visiting raralife.com slash application. That's raralife.com slash application. Yeah, I want to get more into that. So you mentioned student engagement and just communicating resources around mental health and wellness to students. What are you currently doing that you're seeing is successful and how you get the word out about these resources available to students? Sure. So a uh, big caveat here, we're really, really proud of the work that we have done here in the Teachers College at ASU specifically, um, because we were able to use a lot of data to help us design uh, professional positions and then experiences to support students in their mental health and wellness space. Um, so this data exists for everyone. It's just a matter of finding the right people to put around the table to distill that information. And so what we've been able to do is see that we are working with future educators and so we're trying to role model for our students what we hope they will do for their students in the future. Um, and I think that could translate to any industry. You know, if you're going to be a business leader and you're going to have direct reports, you're going to have to, you know, help to meet their needs as well. 
um, again, any industry I think it works for, but with education and our students are going to go into a field well, they're, where they're going to be working with young people, they're going to be working in their communities, they are going to be ingrained in that. We need them to be able to demonstrate to the next generation of people coming to college what self-care looks like, what being proactive and advocating for yourself looks like. And so we've put together a team of professionals and a huge set of resources that students can take advantage of and use to practice that self-care, to connect with others who may be experiencing similar things or talk with experts who can coach them through some of those experiences. The biggest thing that I think uh, some people sometimes fail to recognize, albeit unintentionally, is that mental health and wellness are not one box. Wellness is this continuum and we are all whole beings and so we have to treat our students holistically. So. We need to make sure that our students are not only physically and mentally well, but financially well and spiritually well and all of these other elements of wellness. Um, because if one of those things is off, something else is going to become off and then becomes a domino effect. And the first thing that students do is stop going to class or stop, you know, taking advantage of the resources that they have. So it's important to us to proactively put that information out there, but then also watch for some of those warning signs as well, like students stopped going to class, sleeping through class, not doing assignments, whatever that is, and then working with our partners on campus, whether that's faculty or other functional units to provide support for students. That's a really good point. Um, the wellness and holistic approach, I think, is such an important aspect that, you, like you said, is often missed. It's not just mental health. So talk a little bit more about the data that you use to create this kind of ecosystem. Absolutely. First and foremost, the data that we found in our students was that their biggest stress, and this data is a few years old now, but their biggest stress had been around finances. And that doesn't just include paying for college, that would be their rent, their car, their utilities, cell phone, groceries. And what's really interesting is on a national level, and I would have to find the resource for you because I can't quote it exactly, but over time, the amount of financial aid available to students has kept up with the pace of the um, increase in cost of higher education. That may be in the form of loans, but it also includes grants and scholarships and other institutional aid that co colleges and universities offer. But a lot of that money is not inherently refundable to students. And so they are stressing out because their college is paid for, but they don't have anywhere to live. They don't have a way to get to and from school or to and from a job that they need to have to be able to afford to live. You know, with so many adult learners, they have families and they need to pay for childcare. That financial aid doesn't pay for some of those things. 
And so that was very evident in the data that we were seeing. And that helped us to move in the direction of that financial wellness piece and create a position for somebody to provide financial coaching for students, to talk with them about different types of aid, how it can work for them. But it also gave us the opportunity to create a partnership with career coaching to help students identify jobs that may part-time or full-time that are more flexible for students that maybe are in the field they're interested in going into. So not only are they studying it, but now they're getting some real world experience. Putting those things together just has changed the lives of our students so dramatically. And then we were also able to leverage that data into going to foundations and donors to fund scholarships for students for what we would call above and beyond, meaning they give the money and as a donor, they want that good feeling and the tax write-off and they're able to get that. But we are now able to provide scholarships for students in emergency situations or with other extenuating circumstances, and that money is actually refundable to them. So they can use it for expenses, childcare, whatever they need it for. And it doesn't impact the aid that is paying for their tuition and fees. Wow, that's incredible. Are you, so I guess as a, a student who comes in or is a prospective student, how would they like learn about all of these things that you have available? So again, I'm going to pat Teachers College at ASU on the back a little bit. Any university has like centralized recruitment. ASU uh, often has college-based recruiters as well. So there are centralized ASU admissions and recruitment professionals, but then we have our own teams. And in the Teachers College, we work really, really closely with our recruitment team who are sitting down in front of those prospective students or talking on the phone or over Zoom or over email and sharing this information. It's really important for us that we tell students what our story is, what we have to offer them, so that again, we're role modeling, like we have these things because we recognize that people needed them. We just need them to raise their hands. And we know that we have something that other places aren't offering, which is on the recruitment side, a selling point for us. But that also helps us to help families feel better about sending their children to a school like Arizona State that is very large and very decentralized. I've worked at several other universities, certainly not to the size of ASU, but still large and fairly decentralized where we were trying very hard to tell students what the university had to offer. And it was hard to tell that story. And so now we are building this partnership both within our college, but then also you know, putting things on the web and making them visible and easily accessible. Um, we really, really like to leverage social media because part of college, working with college students is meeting them where they are. And as I'm sure many faculty today would lament, they're not in their emails, they're on Instagram, they're on Snapchat, they're on TikTok. 
And so we're trying to put our story and this information where they're going to see it. But then we also want to make sure their families see it. So we're putting it in places that parents and other caregivers will also be able to access that information. Could we be doing other things? Absolutely. Are we perfect? No. Are we doing a pretty good job? Yes. <laughs> so besides the financial wellness individual that you hired, are there other aspects of holistic wellness where you're focusing staff into? Yeah, so we have a financial coach. Uh, we have a career coach. We also have an academic coach and a wellness coach. The wellness coach really does focus on that mental and physical well-being, and it's meant to be uh, a proactive role. So, for example, today, just today, we had uh, bubble breathing. And for people who aren't familiar with bubble breathing, it is timing your breathing with the blowing of bubbles and the popping of bubbles, but also who doesn't love remembering when they were a kid and they got a little bubble wand and they got to blow bubbles and chase them around and pop them. Well, guess what? As an adult, that's still really, really like soothing and refreshing. <laughs> and our college students are no different. So I actually had somebody text me a picture of a student with a bubble that was easily four feet wide and they were standing next to it. Um, you know, doing things like planting your own little succulent garden. There, there's lots of research behind how working in nature and getting your hands dirty helps relieve stress. One of the most popular things we do, and I know this is done at lots of schools in the U.S., is during times of high stress, which is usually midterms or final exams, we bring in therapy dogs and we just let students sit down and pet the dogs and give them treats. And we all know that that just makes everybody just relax for, even if it's just a couple minutes, then the students can really refocus their energy on their task at hand or tackling the problem in front of them. So like I said, it's really meant to be proactive and again, with that role modeling, all of the things that our wellness coach is trying to do with our students are things that they could then do with students in their classrooms when they are student teachers or the teacher of record after graduation. Um, as staff, we love to do these things. Like I'm the first one out there petting those dogs <laughs> when the dogs come to campus. And so we're also showing like, hey, staff need this too. Um, and so we're trying to make sure that students see us doing those things so they know that even though we are grown-ups, we still need that too. Interesting. Are you planning on any changes or enhancements or optimizations to this program that you have? That's a great question. So we are about three and a half years into this model with these coaches. Um, we have had a little bit of staff turnover, and every time that happens, someone new comes in with new ideas and new perspectives. And so much like ASU is proud to say we're number one in innovation for the seventh year in a row, this team is constantly innovating. And part of that is because 
our students' needs are constantly changing. You remember a couple minutes ago I said, you know, several years ago we recognized our students were really stressed out about finances and that was impacting everything else. Well, we have seen a significant drop in students saying that they can't finish their degree in our college due to finances because they've been able to take advantage of coaching. They know about the resources that are available to them. They are able to take the tools that they learned in coaching and apply them in their own lives. So we are constantly changing. Hey all, Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. Wow, that's amazing. So are you arming recruiters and staff who are in front of students with like talking points or is there like an internal education kind of process that you do? Absolutely. We are very collaborative and communicative. So much like everywhere, we have meetings weekly, bi-weekly to share information, talk about trends we're seeing, talk about upcoming events and how we're responding to the current needs. Um, our staff are very open to asking each other questions and challenging each other to think differently. And one of the things that we like to talk about in our department is pop people over process. And so what that means is yes, as an institution, we have policies and processes in place that we have to follow, but are there things that we can do that help our students to move forward that don't necessarily deviate from a stated policy or a stated process, but are maybe a different way of using that. Are we thinking about their unique need in that situation? And while we might have a blanket policy, are there ways that we can leverage that to help this student here in this way, but help another student differently? When you're talking about or creating content for social or web or whatever, what does that content look like? How do you get the message across without being too overwhelming and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so uh, as a college, we have a communications team as well. So we work pretty closely with them um, because they are actually the experts in looking at metrics and data and analytics around social media, for example. Um, and we coordinate everything together using like a common platform like Hootsuite, for example, to make sure that messages are timed appropriately for whichever audience we're trying to reach, that we're not, you know, putting eight posts in a row. Um, but what we're finding are that our, our students want to interact with our social media um, around things that they can then engage in in real life. So for example, the plant event where students could plant their little succulent. 
you know, we can post pictures and videos in real time, like to an Instagram story. And if an event runs from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., if we post something at 11 that shows the first set of students in there doing something, other students see that, like our posts, send us direct messages, whatever it is, and they're coming to those events that way too, in addition to a normal post that advertises it, but things that they can interact with. We found really, really big student um, participation when we do polls and this or that and have students vote on things. Um, so they wanna share information and their opinions and their feelings with us too. And then we can turn around and use that to inform our practice. Interesting. There's research that indicates students want to see students promoting this kind of resource. Are you seeing performance or a, a any sort of difference between students talking about these resources as in they're the, the, the hero of the content as opposed to maybe your faculty or staff? Yeah, I love that you just asked that question because <laughs> I just had this conversation with someone today. Um, our wellness coach sent me a picture of the student blowing the bubble. And I said, that's awesome. She said, could we post this on our social media? I said, well, could the student post it on their social media and tag us? Could we be encouraging students to do that? And what I actually have noticed just using my own Instagram account is that when we repost things that we are tagged in from other students, those students are getting more followers, we're getting more followers, and more people are interacting with us down the line. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the reach that you could never get as a, as a brand is now being reached through those individual accounts. Yeah, and that's a work in progress for us. Like we just started stepping into this world being so much more thoughtful about our social media around these engagement initiatives just this past fall semester. So we were so excited to finally have some students back on campus in the fall um, that we had to, you know, go to the experts around social media and talk with students about their usage habits. And that has really paid off for us. Actually, my question about um, the data that you used, you mentioned students were mentioning financial hardship. Was this a survey you did or like, how did you get that information from students? Sure. Um, so ASU has a couple of different ways that we can collect that kind of data. Um, if a student wants to completely withdraw from all of their classes, for example, they're taken through a little survey and they have to give some of their reasoning. So we have that data available. Um, more specifically, we went to college level data um, where students who were in our internships in classrooms or student teaching in classrooms um, were having interactions with our department leadership and our faculty leadership if they were struggling in one of those situations. And they could be struggling with anything, whether it was, you know, putting together lesson plans or actually executing the teaching of a lesson. Maybe they're struggling there. But what anybody in higher ed should be able to say at this point is a student's going to present with issue X, but really it's issues A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and this is just the symptom. And that's really what that data showed was that students were coming to us for a professionalism issue, like they couldn't get to their internship on time. Well, it turned out they were working 40 hours a week at a part or at another job and their shifts were running right up against when they needed to be at the school and they didn't have reliable transportation and, and, and. 
So that's really where we were able to mine that data from. Interesting. That's a, that's a really good point, symptoms versus the actual root cause of issues. Is there anything that you think is important to mention that I haven't asked about? You know, you sort of mentioned a little bit about like what information we share with families about what resources are available. Um, and one of the things that I always like to drive home with my team um, of advisors and other student affairs professionals is that when they're talking with families and with students, we need to keep in mind that every family has a different set of expectations about how they communicate with each other. And for example, we will have our new student orientation for all of our incoming first year students. And we do a session with them. And then we also offer sessions for their families. And one of the things that we talk about in both of those is what it is like to have to adjust how you communicate, what you communicate, at what frequency you communicate um, between the child and the family. Um, and especially right now, because of the pandemic, you know, we have a whole you know, generation of students who haven't had a normal high school experience. Um, you know, they've been at home or maybe they've gone back into the classroom, but they get put in quarantine or so many teachers are out, their schools have to close for a little while. So our families have been together for a really long time now and sending a student to a university is a huge, gonna be a huge shift for them. And so we're talking about encouraging all of them to reset their expectations around communication. And I think that's really important for mental health because it's like when we look at something for so long, we aren't sure if we spelled the word right anymore. <laughs> when we've been around each other for so long, we might not notice subtle changes in those around us. But when you have that space, all of a sudden you're not talking to your kid anymore you know, 12 times a day, texting all the time, has something changed and you aren't aware because you guys haven't talked about it? Is it just like they went to college and they're spreading their wings? And this is where that setting those expectations is important. And I mean, of course, in higher ed, we're very concerned about making sure that we are following FERPA, the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act, the federal law that limits what information we as the administrators at the university or the faculty can share with a family member. And so it's even more incumbent on students to talk with their families about what's going on. Um, and when we're talking about mental health, if a family member doesn't really know that their student is struggling and they're not communicating about it, if a student gets on our radar, we don't just pick up the phone and call a parent. Right. Like we don't do that in higher ed. This isn't the same as high school. Um, and that's a really big shift. Um, and if a student ends up using their university's counseling services, um, then they're covered under HIPAA. And so whether it's FERPA or HIPAA, the student has to give their explicit consent for us to share with their family. And so that communication becomes even more important. 
Interesting. So you're, you're educating families and students, both how they communicate with each other, how they communicate with you and tapping into these resources. Communica- yeah. Just communication all around seems, you know, the answer is communication. <laughs> it's true. Totally true. <laughs> We've solved the world's issues. Communication. Um, I feel like many problems would no longer be problems if people would just talk to each other a little bit more. <laughs> exactly. Do you produce resources or content for families like how to talk about mental health with your student or like along those lines of like how to facilitate conversations right so we as a uh, college as our department we don't produce those things even though we have a wellness coach who is a mental health professional um, she is not providing counseling services so as an institution asu creates lots of resources for families Um, things that are online. There's an online community called the ASU Family Hub. Um, uh, There is a whole unit at ASU now called ASU Family, and they exist purely to provide support and resources and information to the families of ASU students. So a lot of that kind of stuff is centralized just because it really is outside of our expertise to go into that level of detail. It makes sense to create it centrally as well. I'm sure every college, school and college would need some sort of resource along yes, those lines. <laughs> absolutely. Do you feel like, have you taken this model and has ASU done it anywhere else in any other school or college? Um, lots of people have inquired over the last few years about our model. What's great about it is that It is flexible, Um, but not every college at ASU serves the exact same demographics of students as us. And so they may, there have been colleges that have borrowed bits and pieces of what we have done and framed it to fit the needs of the students in their college. Um, Of course, having human resources is expensive and so not everybody has the resources to be able to provide the type of coaching that we have. We actually made some difficult financial decisions in other areas to be able to provide this to our students because we knew how critical it was. And I have zero regrets about the decisions that um, our department leadership made in putting that team together. Amazing. Yeah, it's, you, you've mentioned um, every human is, you know, a, a, an individual human and this individual individualized approach to not only care, but communications and expectations, kind of a, a common thread through the conversation is, you know, you can't, you can't just like, it's not cookie cutter approaches by any means. Cause like you said, every individual has their own issues and, and hardships and they're trying to figure out wellness and what wellness means to them and not necessarily what it means to everybody else. I think that's, it's hard to personalize at that level, but it sounds like you've been pretty successful with that individualized approach. Yeah, we have been very lucky um, because it does present a scale issue. So for example, our college uh, total with undergrad and graduate students is probably about 55, 6,000 students, 5,500 to 6,000 students. Um, but my colleagues in engineering, for example, have 20,000 students. 
So they can't have one wellness coach and one financial coach. We are a smaller college that's fairly centralized, whereas other colleges are more decentralized. Um, and so again, like that's why they might want to borrow elements of it, but unless you have a lot of financial resources, it would be hard to scale our model to a larger setting um, because you know, we couldn't, you couldn't possibly ask one financial coach to be available to 20,000 students. Yeah, exactly. Would you, I guess, if you were suddenly in the position of engineering where you had 20,000 students, like, what would you, what would you, how would you approach that? Um, honestly, I think it would come down to really taking a deep dive into the data around the students that is available. Why are they leaving? Why are they staying? What amounts of unmet need do they have um, in terms of paying for school? Um, are we seeing trends, are our friends in the counseling center seeing trends among students from our college? They certainly wouldn't divulge individual student information, but they can share trends. We would also look at national trends in our area. So if I'm in engineering, I would be looking at trends at engineering schools across the country. You know, there's lots of data around alcohol and drug use on campuses across the country, and it can be distilled down by campus. You know, can that be even more ingrained or uh, fine-tuned to get down to the smaller grains as far as like specific colleges or majors? Um, you know, talking with our friends in student conduct, are they seeing recurring themes among students in our college that we could be more proactively working toward? I, this is this is just an example, purely an example, but if we suddenly had a huge uptick in students who are underage in the residence halls um, with possession of alcohol, well, there's a, there's a lot of things to unpack here. Like, why are they doing these things? Why were these decisions made? What kind of uh, student justice is being done here? Like, are they, what kind of punishments are being doled out? Are students following through on what they're being told to do to get back into good standing? You know, all of this data is available. It's just really spending the time to dive deep down into it. Um, which totally sounds like a research project for some doctoral students in education, but I digress. Um, you know, that's what I would be looking for. And whether it's engineering or the liberal arts or business, all of this data does exist. It's just having somebody who is given the time and space to really dig into it. Interesting. So it sounds like, I mean, like if you had to make a business case for this model, it sounds like recruitment, retention, graduation rates, like all of these things, student wellness overall, all of these things are touched by something like this program, right? So you're talking to parents and prospective students, you're making sure students are staying in their classroom and completing their work and graduating and yeah. that kind of stuff. So it sounds like it's a, a holistic approach, but it's also helping other aspects of, I don't want to say business because, you know, it seems cold, but Again, it's right. about, um, you know, students getting to, the, to their end goal. Um, yeah. Do you think that there are other aspects, um, you know, like student health and wellness? Yeah. And there's like 
retention and staying in, in, in classes? Is it, you know, they're going home and they're having a, like a better conversation with their parents and they're having better experience. They're telling their friends about it. They're talking about it on social media. Do you think there's other areas where this kind of holistic approach to students is helpful um, beyond the classroom, I guess? Could you describe a little bit what you're seeing like outside of the classroom? Absolutely. I mean, so I work with future educators. Most of our students are going to go into a classroom as a teacher. And when I think about them, technically they're still a student, but now they're in that professional setting. We want to send our best representatives into those classrooms. And so obviously like we want to make sure that they've been taught the information that they need. But we also want to make sure that they know how to translate that into real life. Um, one of the unique things about a teacher preparation program is that student teaching experience. And for many students, not just at ASU, but lots of schools that have that type of program, it's like a full-time job for a semester or two. Um, and so they need to go into that space. And this is going to sound kind of strange, but they need to be able to hold it together like they're already the teacher. <laughs> but if they're having those other issues and we haven't helped them to sort of put that all together, they're not putting their, they're not putting forward their best professional persona. And again, like, I think that applies in any industry. You know, if you want to have somebody prepare your taxes and you're talking to your CPA, but they're not responding to your emails or your phone calls because they're so consumed with some other element of their life that they don't have the tools to um, support themselves through that, well, that's going to be a problem too. And so it is more than just helping them to be successful in the classroom. You know, we can talk all day about people with a college degree make more money over their lifetime than people with a high school degree. Well, becoming a teacher is a professional degree, just like a law degree or a medical degree. You are going into a profession. I have a liberal arts degree, so I had this creativity and flexibility to sort of create my own career path. And it took me a little while to figure it out. And it wasn't because I didn't want to do something. I had lots of interests, but people who choose to be teachers have very specific reasons oftentimes for why they are inspired to go into that field. And it's not because the pay is amazing. <laughs> it's not because everybody in the community lines up to give them a parade for all of the amazing work that they do. And so they know that going into it. So they have to have these tools knowing that they're walking into a difficult situation. For sure. It's a very interesting take. Yeah, like they're they're representing representing the program and department and school and college that they're working out of and from. Um, but also just especially with teachers, gosh, the amount of tools they need to ensure just holistic well-being, um, you know, sometimes it's overwhelming, um, especially, Absolutely. Yeah, especially today with COVID and everything else that's happening. Um, I can't imagine, you know, that the, the passion and drive and the, the wellness has to be there um, to be successful. 
this was seriously amazing. I'm so glad that Jenny got me in contact with you because, wow. I love Jenny. <laughs> we also love her. So. <laughs> That's a wrap for this episode. Please rate and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. And remember, a better student experience is always the answer. Hey all, Zach from Enolify here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Application with Corinne Myers. If you liked this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing, learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.